Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. Chapter eight continued. Welcome back. We are continuing with chapter eight this week, The Treasure of God on page 148. This week we'll cover the treasure of God, the body as a means of communication, the body as a means or end, and healing as corrected perception. This will complete chapter eight, and then we'll start on chapter nine in two weeks' time. And that chapter is called Acceptance of the Atonement. So let us begin. Page 148, paragraph one says this, we are the joint will of the sonship whose wholeness is for all. We begin the journey back by setting out together and gather in our brothers as we continue together. Every gain in our strength is offered for all, so they too can lay aside their weaknesses and add their strength to us. Paragraph two, the world can add nothing to the power and the glory of God and his holy sons, but it can blind the sons of the Father if they behold it. You cannot behold the world and know God. Only one is true. I have come to tell you that the choice of which is true is not yours to make. If it were, you would have destroyed yourself. Yet God did not will the destruction of his creations, having created them for eternity. His will has saved you, not from yourself, but from your illusion of yourself. He has saved you for yourself. Paragraph four at the bottom says this, listen to the story of the prodigal son and learn what God's treasure is and yours. This son of a loving father left his home, next page 149, and thought he had squandered everything for nothing of any value. Although he had not understood its worthlessness at the time, he was ashamed to return to his father because he thought he'd hurt him. Yet when he came home, the father welcomed him with joy because the son himself was his father's treasure. He wanted nothing else. Paragraph five, sentence seven says, your creations love you as you love your father for the gift of creation. There is no other gift that is eternal, and therefore there is no other gift that is true. How then can you accept anything else or give anything else and expect joy in return? Question mark. And what else but joy would you want? Question mark. You made neither yourself nor your function. You made only the decision to be unworthy of both. Paragraph six says, your function is to add to God's treasure by creating yours. His will to you is his will for you. He would not withhold creation from you because his joy is in it. You cannot find joy except as God does. His joy lay in creating you, and he extends his fatherhood to you so that you can extend yourself as he did. You do not understand this because you do not understand him. No one who does not accept his function can understand what it is. 
and no one can accept his function unless he knows what he is. Creation is the will of God. His will created you to create. Your will was not created separate from his, and so you must will as he wills. Paragraph 7, Sentence 3. God's will is thought. It cannot be contradicted by thought. Next page, on page 150, paragraph 8 says this, There is no question but one should ever ask, there's no question but one you should ever ask of yourself. Do you want to know, do I want to know my father's will for me? Question mark. He will not hide it. He has revealed it to me because I asked it of him and learned of what he had already given. Our function is to work together because apart from each other, we cannot function at all. Paragraph nine, I share with God the knowledge of the value he puts upon you. My devotion to you is of him, being born of my knowledge of myself and him. We cannot be separated. Whom God has joined cannot be separated, and God has joined all his sons with himself. Can you be separated from your life and your being? Question mark. The journey to God is merely the reawakening of the knowledge of where you are, where you are always and what you are forever. It is a journey without distance to a goal that has never changed. Truth can only be experienced. It cannot be described and it cannot be explained. I can make you aware of the conditions of truth, but the truth, but the experiences of God together We can meet its conditions, but truth will dawn upon you of itself. And paragraph 10, the last part says, what God has willed for you is yours. He has given his will to his treasure, whose treasure it is. Your heart lies where your treasure is, as his does. You who are beloved of God are wholly blessed. Learn this of me and free the holy will of all those who are as blessed as you are. Okay, so the treasure of God, I think they're trying to make it really clear that we are the treasure of God, and everything we create is our treasure, and all of us are connected. So if we're the treasure of God equally, each one of us, all treasures, no exceptions, then we're all equals. The next page on page 151, called The Body as a Means of Communication, starts off like this. Paragraph one, attack is always physical. When attack in any form enters your mind, you are equating yourself with a body, since this is the ego's interpretation of the body. You do not have to attack physically to accept this interpretation. You are accepting it simply by the belief that attack can get you something you want. If you did not believe this, the idea of attack would not have, sorry, would have no appeal for you. When you equate yourself with a body, you will always experience depression. Paragraph two, and I've really highlighted this paragraph. Remember that the Holy Spirit interprets the body only as a means of communication. B 
being the communication link between God and his separated sons, the Holy Spirit interprets everything you have made in the light of what he is. The ego separates through the body. The Holy Spirit reaches through it to others. You do not perceive your brothers as the Holy Spirit does because you do not regard bodies solely as a means of joining minds and uniting them with yours and mine. This interpretation of the body will change your mind entirely about its value. Of itself, it has none. Paragraph three, sentence four, down in the middle um, to the right, says, in the service of uniting, it becomes a beautiful lesson in communion, which has value until communion is. This is God's way of making unlimited what you have limited. The Holy Spirit does not see the body as you do, because he knows the only reality of anything is the service it renders God on behalf of the function he gives it. Paragraph four says communication ends separation. Attack promotes it. The body is beautiful or ugly, peaceful or savage, helpful or harmful, according to the use to which it is put. And in the body of another, you will see the use to which you have put yours. Next page, 152. Paragraph five starts off with, yet all loss comes from on- comes only from your own misunderstanding. Loss of any kind is impossible. But when you look upon a brother as a physical entity, his power and glory are lost to you, and so are yours. Basically saying that as long as you see him as a body, then you will not understand the power that both of you have, and the unity and togetherness that both of you have. Paragraph six, rejoice then, that of yourself you can do nothing. You are not of yourself. He of whom you are has willed your power and glory for you, with which you can perfectly accomplish his holy will for you when you accept it for yourself. Ah, see, there's the trick. You have to accept and believe 100% wholeheartedly with all of your being that you are one with God. Paragraph seven, the Bible says, the word or thought has made flesh. Strictly speaking, this is impossible since it seems to involve the translation of one order of reality into another. Different orders of reality merely appear to exist just as different orders of miracles do. Thought cannot be made into flesh except by belief, since thought is not physical. Yet thought is communication for which the body can be used. This is the only natural use to which it can be put. The use the body to use the body unnaturally is to lose sight of the Holy Spirit's purpose and thus to confuse the goal of his curriculum. Paragraph nine at the very bottom, I'm going to start with this sentence. In this world, not even the body is perceived as whole. It's next page, page 153. Its purpose is seen as fragmented into many functions with little or no relationship to each other so that it appears to be ruled by chaos. Guided by the ego, it is. Guided by the Holy Spirit, it is not. Paragraph 10. 
Healing is the result of using the body solely for communication. Since this is natural, it heals by making whole, which is also natural. Sentence four, the next sentence, not next sentence three, then skip that and go to four. Mind cannot be made physical, but it can be made manifest through the physical if it uses the body to go beyond itself. By reaching out, the mind extends itself. It does not stop at the body, for if it does, it is blocked in its purpose. Paragraph 11. The removal of blocks, then, is the only way to guarantee help and healing. Help and healing are the normal expressions of a mind that is working through the body, but not in it. Paragraph 12 says, to communicate is to join and to attack is to separate. How can you do both simultaneously with the same thing and not suffer? Question mark. Perception of the body can be unified only by one purpose. This releases the mind from the, from the temptation to see the body in many lights and give it over entirely to the one light in which it can be really understood. To confuse a learning device with a curriculum goal is a fundamental confusion that blocks the understanding of both. Learning must lead beyond the body to the reestablishment of the power of the mind in it. So basically just going over just what I read in that paragraph 12 is basically saying that the mind is the power we have, not our bodies. We've misunderstood what has the power? We think our bodies do. We think that we are bodies because our minds live in this body. Well, this body's an avatar. This body is just a shell of who we are. It is not who we are. It is not where we came from and it's not where we're going. It's just here for this purpose in this lifetime to fulfill the goal that we set when we came here. We don't remember that necessarily, but we did set a goal when we came here. Next page on 154. Paragraph 13, the opposite of joy is depression. When your learning promotes depression instead of joy, you cannot be listening to God's joyous teacher and learning his lessons. Sentence four says, health is therefore nothing more than united purpose. If the body is brought under the purpose of the mind, it becomes whole because the mind's purpose is one. Paragraph 14, you are not limited by the body and thought cannot be made flesh. Yet mind can be manifest through the body if it goes beyond it and does not interpret it as limitation. Whenever you see another as limited to you or by the body, you are imposing this limit on yourself. You Are you willing to accept this when your whole purpose of learning should be to escape from limitations? Question mark. To conceive of the body as a means of attack and to believe that joy could possibly result is a clear-cut indication of a poor learner. Paragraph 15, sentence one says, Joy is unified purpose, and unified purpose is only God's. Paragraph 16, Do not allow yourself to suffer from imagined results of what is not true. Free your mind from the belief that this is possible. In its complete impossibility lies your only hope for release. But what other hope would you want? Question mark. Freedom from illusions lies only in not believing them. 
There is no attack, but there is unlimited communication and therefore unlimited power and wholeness. The power of wholeness is extension. And what they mean by that is in order to be whole, you have to extend yourself to others. You have to join with your brothers and sisters in equality with no judgment, with no looking upon their bodies and seeing them as bodies. Really difficult thing to do in a world that made bodies the main focus. But if you can look past the body and see the spirit, everything changes. The next section on page 155 is called the body as a means or end. Paragraph one, sentence five. To the ego, the body is an attack with, equating you with the body. It teaches you are to attack with. The body then is not the source of its own health. The body's condition lies solely in your interpretation of its function. Functions are part of being since they arise from it, but the relationship is not reciprocal. The whole does define the part, but the part does not define the whole. Sentence 13, but knowledge never changes. So its constellation is permanent. The idea of part-whole relationships has meaning only at the level of perception, where change is possible. Otherwise, there is no difference between the part and the whole. Paragraph two, the body exists in a world that seems to contain two voices fighting for its possession. In this perceived constellation, the body is seen as capable of shifting its allegiance from one to the other, making the concepts of both health and sickness meaningful. The ego makes a fundamental confusion between means and end as it always does. Regarding the body as an end, the ego has no real use for it because it is not an end. Paragraph three, it has been particularly difficult to overcome the ego's belief in the body as an end because it is synonymous with the belief in attack as an end. The ego has a profound investment in sickness. If you are sick, how can you object to the ego's firm belief that you are not invulnerable? Question mark. Page 156, paragraph five says this. It is still true that the body has no function of itself because it is not an end. The ego, however, establishes it as an end, because as such, its true function is obscured. This is the purpose of everything the ego does. Its sole aim is to lose sight of the function of everything. A sick body does not make any sense. It could not make sense because sickness is not what the body is for. Sickness is meaningful only if the two basic premises on which the ego's interpretation of the body rests are true, that the body first is for attack, and that you are a body. Without these premises, sickness is inconceivable. Imagine that. Imagine no sickness. <laughs> this book is actually saying that sickness is something that we create because we give our bodies power. We tell ourselves that our bodies have that power. And in doing so, we allow sickness in. All we have to do is say sickness is not real and it doesn't belong to us. 
Paragraph seven at the bottom says a learning device is not a teacher. It cannot tell you how you feel. You do not know how you feel because you've accepted the ego's confusion and you therefore believe that a learning device, next page, can tell you how you feel. Sickness is merely another example of your insistence on asking guidance of a teacher who knows not, who does not know the answer. The ego is incapable of knowing how you feel. Paragraph eight, you might well ask how the voice of something that does not exist can be so insistent. Have you thought about the distorting power of something you want, even if it is not real? Question mark. There are many instances of how what you want distorts your perception. No one can doubt the ego's skill in building up false cases, nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen until you choose not to accept anything except truth. When you lay the ego aside, it will be gone. It does pop back from time to time, but overall it does go. Paragraph nine, the Holy Spirit teaches you to use your body only to reach your brothers so he can teach his message through you. This will heal them and therefore heal you. Everything used in accordance with its function as the Holy Spirit sees it cannot be sick. Everything used otherwise is. Do not allow the body to be a mirror of a split mind. Do not let it be an image of your own perception of littleness. Do not let it reflect your decision to attack. Health is seen as the natural state of everything when interpretation is left to the Holy Spirit who perceives no attack on anything. Health is the result of relinquishing all attempts to use the body lovelessly. Health is the beginning of the proper perspective on life under the guidance of one teacher who knows what life is, being the voice for life itself. Oh, that is a lot. That was, okay, so the body is a means to end. So this, again, is just trying to reiterate our belief system in our bodies as being the main part of who we are. We don't see it. We see our minds as part of our bodies, but we don't give it the power it actually has. It has the power over everything. Our ability to think, our ability to feel, and our ability to know comes from our mind. It doesn't come from our bodies. That's the illusion the ego gave us. Page 157, healing as corrected perception is the next section. Paragraph one says, I said before that the Holy Spirit is the answer. He is the answer to everything. I can attest to that because he knows what the answer to everything is. Yes, he does. It gets annoying sometimes, but he honestly does. (laughs) Paragraph two, sentence, uh, sorry, page 158, paragraph two says, wrong perception is the wish that things be as they are not. The reality of everything is totally harmless because total harmlessness is the condition of its reality. Sentence four says, you do not have to seek reality. It will seek you and find you when you meet its conditions. Its conditions are part of what it is. And this part only is up to you. The rest is 
of itself. You need do so little because this little part is so powerful that it will begin the whole, it'll bring the whole to you. Accept then your little part and let the whole be yours. It's really interesting. I, I think I've said this a couple of times, but I'm going to say it again. That reality, see, we use that word so often and we say, well, in reality, <laughs> in fact, we don't understand that. We think this world is reality. This book is saying that this world is not reality. And it's not even close. So when this book refers to reality, it's talking about God's reality, not ours. Paragraph three says, wholeness heals because it is of the mind. All forms of sickness, even unto death, are physical expressions of the fear of awakening. They are attempts to reinforce sleeping out of fear of awakening. This is a pathetic way of trying not to see by rendering the faculties for seeing ineffectual. Rest in peace is a blessing for the living, not the dead, because rest comes from waking, not from sleeping. Sleep is withdrawing. Waking is joining. Dreams are illusions of joining because they reflect the ego's distorted notions about what joining is. Yet the Holy Spirit, too, has use for sleep and can use dreams on behalf of waking if you will let him. I have to tell you, I have to stop here for a second. Rest in peace. I always thought that was interesting. And after I read this book, it, it made total sense to me that we always say, R.I.P., rest in peace, you know, whomever, whomever passed this life, their body passed, and we say, rest in peace. And the funny thing is, is that where they go, it's an automatic peace. It's a given they don't need to rest in it. They are in it. Where we need to rest in peace is in this world. We need to learn to rest here in peace and find joy again. It's here if we want to find it. Paragraph four says, how you wake is the sign of how you have used sleep. To whom did you give it? Question mark. Under which teacher did you place it? Question mark. Whenever you wake dispiritedly, it was get, it was not given to the Holy Spirit. Only when you awaken joyously have you utilized sleep according to his purpose. You can indeed be drugged, and this is in quotations, by sleep if you have misused it on behalf of sickness. Sleep is no more a form of death than death is a form of unconsciousness. Complete unconsciousness is impossible. You can rest in peace only because you are awake. Paragraph five says healing is released from the fear of waking and the substitution of the decision to wake. The decision to wake is the reflection of the will to love. Since all healing involves replacing fear with love, I love this section. I love this exact, these words, because it's telling us that the fear, when we, when we feel fear, then love is gone. It's not with us. We've let it go. So why would we replace love with fear? Why would we want to feel that anxiety, that panic instead of love? Book says it's a choice. I know that for a fact it is a choice because I've gone from fear to love. It is a choice and we can retrain our minds to find love again and let fear go. Next page, page 159, paragraph six, sentence five. The ego 
despises weakness. Even though it makes every effort to induce it, the ego wants only what it hates. To the ego, this is perfectly sensible. Believing in the power of attack, the ego wants attack. I just had a really great conversation with a young woman who's been sort of harassed online and she's not been responding. And I keep telling her, don't respond, don't respond. Just let it go. Let it go. You know, that's that person's issue because attack is always, is always about what the other person is experiencing. It's never about you. Never. And so she's been resisting and not, and not responding and not responding. And she said, I've, she said, it's been really hard because her instinct has been to want to respond, to want to say something back because she's being attacked. But she has learned, we had a, a good conversation. She's learned that attack will not give the wind, the wind we want. The Holy Spirit says to learn, to understand this world, everybody has to win. And if, if someone attacks you, that's their issue. But if you attack back, then nobody wins. There'll be no resolution because attack doesn't bring resolution. So anyways, this young woman, I think, is learning that, which is lovely. Paragraph seven, sentence three, the name of God's son is one, and you are enjoined to do the works of love because we share this oneness. Our minds are whole because we because they are one. If you are sick, you are are withdrawing from me. Yet you cannot withdraw from me alone. You can only withdraw from me, from yourself and me. Paragraph eight, you have surely begun to realize that this is a very practical course and one that means exactly what it says. I would not ask you to do things you cannot do. And it is impossible that I could do things you cannot do. Given this, and given this quite literally, nothing can prevent you from doing exactly what I ask, and everything argues for your doing it. I give you no limits because God lays none upon you. When you limit yourself, you are not of one mind, and that is sickness. Yet sickness is not of the body, but of the mind. All forms of sickness are signs that the mind is split and does not accept a unified purpose. Paragraph nine, the unification of purpose then is the Holy Spirit's only way of healing. This is because it is the only level at which healing means everything. The reestablishing of meaning in a chaotic thought system is the way to heal it. Your task is only to meet the conditions for meaning since meaning itself is of God. There we go. So that ends chapter eight and brings us to chapter nine, which is the acceptance of the atonement. And we will be covering five sections of the, of chapter nine, the acceptance of reality, the answer to prayer, the correction of error, the Holy Spirit's plan for forgiveness, and the unhealed healer. Thanks for listening. Trifecta Now's masterclass in February is called Removing Judgment. This is about learning how to stop judging one another and yourself and to learn to see yourself as you truly are. And in turn, you will see everybody else that same way. 
This is scheduled for Saturday, February 26th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're interested in registering for for this class, please email me at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. I'll send you a registration form. And then once you're re- registered, if you've already done a class before, then you just have to send me that you're interested. And then I'll send you the Zoom link for it. This masterclass is $60 US. Um, if interested, please email me and then come join me. I will start, or I am continuing, and I just started, an online live book club on Wednesday, February 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and they will go every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. If anyone's interested in joining, please email me so I can send you the Zoom link and you can join in. It's no problem, and there is no cost involved. Um... As I finish up book clubs, I always start new ones. I am also willing to do another one if people are interested. So starting another live book club. If you're interested and you have some suggested dates or times to start the new book club, please let me know. Again, thank you for listening. I can be contacted by email at trifectanow3 at gmail.com if you'd like to ask a question, share a comment, or just say hello. I have details for the masterclass, for this month's masterclass on the description of the podcast. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.